Hello and welcome to Let's Talk MedTech, the premier podcast for the medical device and diagnostic industry. My name is Omar Ford and I'm the host for this episode. I'm also the editor-in-chief of MDDI, an online publication owned by Informa that covers the medical device and diagnostic industry. On this episode of Let's Talk MedTech, we are speaking with Nathaniel Lackman. He is a partner with Foley and Lardner LLP. And today it's all about telemedicine and digital health. And we're asking the question, are these segments still interesting or still hot to investors? So it's going to be an incredible episode. Can't wait for you to hear. But without further ado, let's talk MedTech with Nathaniel Lackman. Well, good morning and welcome to the program. How are you, Nate? I'm well, Omar. Thank you for having me here. Sure. Anytime. Anytime. You know, I know we have a lot to talk about. And, and I uh, first, I want to go back in time a little bit. I want to go back to 2018 as we start this conversation now. And I want to talk about what happened before the pandemic. And I want to kind of get a sense of venture capital's interest in telemedicine companies back then. Uh, sure. We'll get in the Wayback Machine five years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. More than a couple now, right? It's hard to tell with time after COVID, you know? But so, yeah. I agree. I will say that as so I've been doing, I've been practicing law about 18 years, and the last 10 of which have been almost exclusively telemedicine digital health. And um, I think one takeaway is that the, the PHE and COVID th- did not create the telemedicine industry. It certainly accelerated the pace that the technology was being adopted in widespread public awareness. But even back in 2018 and earlier, there was a lot of uh, interest among venture and startups to create new telemedicine companies and digital health companies, and we were representing many of them. Uh, so I don't think uh, it was just COVID or PHE. Uh, during that period of time, you had a significant amount of waivers um, uh, of rules and restrictions. You also had a lot of people with fear of having in-person contact. They turned to online e-commerce across the board. Uh, use shot up. Uh, you had a lot of government stimulus monies, uh, so folks had a lot more like free income uh, yeah. available. Interest rates at zero, and so the LPs at uh, funds ha- wanted to put their money somewhere with a return. Uh, to say nothing of like crypto and these other just like new uh, wealth being created and then deploying it. So I think that the confluence of all of those different events really led to the significant explosion in valuations in digital health and telemedicine venture. But even pre-COVID, there was a, a lot of interest and competition was heating up. Well, now we're, we're in 2018 now, but I want to fast forward just a bit to 2021 when everything that we were talking about, everything that was going on was digital health and telemedicine at that point. Can you gauge the interest then compared to 2018? And now, and can you discuss where the interest is now in 2023? Oh, yeah, sure. So let's say, tw- let me, I'll even break a little bit further. So around 2014, 2015, a lot of the potential clients I was getting, they're asking, do you, Nate, or your colleagues know any venture funds you can connect us with for fundraising? And then around 2018, it was like uh, most of the uh, companies who were reaching out to us already had some funding, maybe let's say Series A because they had raised something. By the time 21 came around, companies were just like, I have a slide deck and in an idea and I'm going to do a $10 million pre-seed round. Uh, <laughs> or we'll get a Series A 
at like a hundred million dollar plus valuation or some of the venture firms they were doing it was almost became a joke they would do little to no regulatory due diligence on a company they just wanted to stroke the check and get in onto the cap table um before the round closed uh a lot of that i wouldn't put any uh you know i don't think even need finger pointing that's just the natural progression of an industry where it starts nascent and, and gains traction and then venture turns its eye to it now in 2023 some things have changed primarily driven by interest rates and the illiquidity of the capital markets it's the primary function secondarily i do think a lot of venture investors because they were competing against each other for the opportunity to invest in a limited cohort of companies um, created the higher valuations. Uh, and so now if we have a bit of a level reset with the market, namely if you're inflating a raft and you need to take a breath once in a while, mm -hmm. we would take a look that saying, should we, we may have priced these as the uh, individual deploying the LP's capital. We may have priced these like a SaaS company or a software company, rather than a tech-enabled professional services company. They have different multipliers, different growth patterns, and both can be really great businesses. So that is, I think, the heart of the reality is that some of these might have been uh, ambitiously priced as a software-only company, whereas they were really tech-enabled professional services. What does that it, mean? It means that they're gonna try to change their P&L by cutting cost, moving from a growth acquisition focus to what they kind of call a sustainability. I don't know if they really need to show profitability in the sense of uh, versus an immediate pathway to profitability. You know, there are a ton of digital health and telemedicine companies out there right now. And I'm guessing that many of them want to become noticed, uh, some of them that are looking for funding. But the space, right, it's it's so crowded, right? And I imagine an even tighter pressure would come from the recession or, or the current state of the economy. I know there's some debate on where we're at right now. I don't want to get into that conversation. Uh, but what do these companies need to do, these telemedicine companies need to do to become noticed by, by VC investors? Yeah, let me ask you a slightly different question. Why do they need to be noticed by venture capital as opposed to be noticed by the end users of their products or services, the patients, hmm. right? Venture capital really should be a means to an end. You can uh, accelerate growth at a faster rate than if the company were to be bootstrapped uh, and and grow slowly, right? The result of that all of that extra money is sometimes you choke on it. See, we've seen in the press examples of companies going uh, hard in the paint on uh, marketing and advertising, and then not actually able to hire enough clinicians to fulfill the the demand side of their client base. And you had mentioned sort of, oh, where there's so many companies, too many telemedicine companies. Is anybody saying there's too many doctors? There's just too many medical groups? The United mm -hmm. States too many dermatologists. What's going on here? No, they say <laughs> that about lawyers. They don't say that about doctors, right? Yeah. There's a fundamental supply-demand balance in America in healthcare, period, hard stop. And so that means whatever the size of the TAM is, there is absolute opportunity to create new medical practices, technology-enabled and otherwise. But that's typically like a, a medical practice is typically a, a private e equity interest, right, uh, rather than a venture because of the horizons and the um, ability to optimize via manage, management services. So we're, what I think we're going to see is a change. Some of these companies, which is great, they took venture money, used it to grow. 
because instead of setting up signage and referral relationships in your local town, they just did it online, right? Gaining market share, like planting flags in the online presence, adding a bunch of patients. Now it's the time for the founders to make good on that promise and actually deliver meaningful quality services that their patients enjoy using. Then it will continue to grow and flourish on a more organic basis, as opposed to being turbocharged by venture in the sense of excess advertising budgets and subsidized operating costs to have a lower retail price point. When that stuff goes away, a lot of these companies may go under. But you know what? That is part of the thesis of venture. Everybody in venture capital, as long as you like know anything about it, realizes that 80 to 90% of these companies will fail. They compete with each other. But in the process, those survivors will actually have made the world a better place, will have changed healthcare for the better by experimenting with these new models. LPs, like their money is highly liquid. They, they put it into a venture fund and they can't tap into it for 10, sometimes 12 years. That's a really long horizon. I feel like some of the venture uh, capitalists aren't, they need to give the founders time to fulfill their mission and goals of what, of the type of the company that was invested in in the first place. So if you're sitting on a bunch of capital or cash that has already been raised, I feel like the founder should have the opportunity to execute upon that strategy rather than being forced to have extreme austerity measures to show a profitable P&L, mm-hmm. even if it harms the actual company's core product and service. That's not a good thing. All that will do is give the impression of a profitable company Why? Not for long-term sustainability necessarily, but just to make it easier to do another fundraise. Well, you know, that's mostly just a shell game of uh, who's going to be the next investor uh, taking the responsibility for the valuation, as opposed to saying, can we use the money that has been previously raised to really create something new and different uh, that is better for patients and, and better for people. Yeah, makes makes perfect sense. Uh, uh, you know, you said something very interesting, and there's this conversation going on right now about who these companies are serving. Are they serving patients or are they serving end users or customers? And there's this interesting discussion. You know, we've been banding this around MDDI for a while now. But, uh, you know, we're seeing the patient actually take more ownership of their health through uh, these uh, devices, this technology, the telemedicine and the digital health space. And I'm wondering if you've kind of seen that or or what your insight is on that as well. I know we're veering a little bit off from, from talking solely about VC activity, but just curious about your thoughts on that. No, I love that because again, the VCs are just turning their lens, have turned their lens to healthcare where previously it was, you know, e-commerce, there's crypto. It just VC is a means to accelerate um, a concept or theme or an offering. And so the yeah. offer here is what you're talking about. So I, I you know, the, the term changing patients to users or members is, is kind of like an e-commerce oriented tech play rather than a traditional healthcare play. But what I do like about it is that it recognizes that a lot of these tools can be created using AI and software that's been through the FDA oversight process to mm-hmm. eliminate the need of a doctor, of a doctor um, or B, significantly reduce the amount of time that the doctor has to spend. That allows access by a greater number of patients to have the service. And when it comes to device, digital health devices, it allows the individual to have greater responsibility of their own personal health and management. At the end of the day, it's like 
eat healthy food, not too much of it, mostly vegetables, get exercise and like pay attention to your vitals. Right. You know, easier said than done, though. Yeah. Some of these devices that make it easier to monitor your blood pressure, push that up to the cloud automatically so a doctor can look into a dashboard and see that once a month captures the spaces in between when you're not like sitting in the waiting room at the doctor's office. That's the you know, that's the important stuff. More we can turn that into put that in the hands of patients, even if it means we need to kind of make it consumerized or gamified some way where our psychology will uh, be uh, get a little dopamine hit to actually use the tool, in my mm-hmm. opinion, better. So long as it's still has that uh, evidence based clinically validated backbone and we're not deceiving ourselves by essentially playing with Fisher Price uh, toys, toy stethoscopes. <laughs> You know, when we're thinking it's like these reference numbers are legit when they might not be dialed in. Let's jump into 2023 for a minute. Yeah, I know we're in 2023 right now, but we've been all over the place with with, with time, right, during this conversation. Uh, but what we're having now are a lot of layoffs in big tech. And I won't say the names. Uh, people can Google, you know, if they're interested in it. But some of these companies have their hands in the digital health space. And I'm wondering, I know these are public companies, but I'm wondering how VCs are reacting to this news when it it comes to looking at potential digital health companies to invest in. When they see the layoffs, they see the struggles, Um, is VC becoming skittish or are they kind of embracing it? What's the feel like? What's the the tone? I think it depends how... Uh, senior you are, how long you've been in the venture game, right? Yeah, venture yeah. itself is what, not 30 years old or something in the U.S. The way, as we know it, it like the amount of money, I think, I read some weird stats where like the amount of money invested in venture like last year <clears throat> was equal to all the amount of money invested in venture in the prior like couple decades, right? Wow. So just the sheer scale and the enormity of these dollars um, is significant. B, we've come off uh, what, like 10 plus years since the Great Recession of just like great economic growth. So everybody, it's like very easy to to win, so to speak, or to to get returns and succeed. Uh, and now that we have a di- slightly different market, right, the attitudes are shifting. So I do think some of the folks on the VC side are concerned. However, the LPs, again, like I said, they invest their money into a fund and their capital calls for that money are usually occur in the first two to four years of the fund's life cycle. That's because that's when the VCs are obligated contractually and fiduciarily, fiduciarily to deploy those the money that they raise um, into companies that fit the target purpose of the fund. So if we have like all of these billions of dollars raised in uh, digital health venture funds, those funds have to deploy it unless they just want to return the money to the investors, which isn't likely to happen. So. If you're a startup and in the space and you look like, oh, maybe the valuation isn't going to be that great compared to your last round or you want to weather the storm, I think that's what a lot of folks are doing, right? Sizing the balance sheets, making it look better, slowing down on the growth. They'll go through the remainder of 2023 and recognizing that the to- the clock is ticking for the VC funds to invest, right? There are still like multi-hundred million dollar, there's a multi-hundred million dollar um, fundraise round announced for a telemedicine company in the last month. And uh, I think that stuff is going to continue because that's the job of the venture uh, capitalists. So I wouldn't worried about that. I don't think you're going to see a ton of activity in 2023, but they're still looking for deal flow. They're still looking for the opportunities to invest. And what might happen is they'll this this year, some companies will go under, they'll merge and combine, get a little bit larger, feel out 
like what is their core competency and what are they really good at? And then by 24, then they'll be able to do B's and C's and D rounds using larger amounts of capital, right? Uh, in fewer mm-hmm. companies. Maybe that's what's going to happen. All of which is a natural progression of a new industry. Create some movers in the beginning and then they get some success and everybody's like, oh, I want to do that too. And then you have a huge uptick in like smaller ones and uh, then they consolidate, get fewer and those ones who remain are pretty powerful. You know, I remember years ago when I first started covering the industry, uh, it was around 2008, but in particular around 2009, 2010, the joke was that the latest, uh, that the Series A was now the Series C round. You had to do, you had to have so much due diligence in just to get, you know, a Series A. I'm wondering where are we at now, if we could apply that that same metaphor, where are we at right now um, in terms of uh, funding for uh, digital health companies and telemedicine companies? What is the new the new Series A is a Series C. So what would it be for 2023? You know, that's hard to say. I do think <laughs> that the vent that in the space, the healthcare space, there's a ton of venture and founders who are not familiar with healthcare at all who sure. uh, creating companies. But now that there's been enough of them, I think they're starting to realize, OK, here are some of the structures you need to do. Here are some of the pain points. Here are some of the, the rules, because unlike just regular tech or some other spaces that they applied tech healthcare is so highly regulated it is so entrenched uh consumers do not have the ability by and large to speak with their own wallet it's intermediated by health plans and employers and whatnot so it is not only confusing but the sales cycle can be long it can be challenging um, I think some of that has been smoothed out where companies and founders are able to share this information with each other so I think they'll have a higher degree of confidence I think uh I, I don't want to say that I that the due diligence, maybe the regulatory due diligence will still be the same. Again, and these are early stage companies too when they're getting some of their found, uh, their founding dollars. So at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, it's going to continue on. And some folks m- may have placed bets that were really ambitious and they were betting that the market would continue to rise, even if their specific company was just me- that they were investing in was, you know, just mediocre. And I don't blame the founders for, for for any of that, and I don't blame the macroeconomics. Yeah, you don't have to blame anybody. It's just the reality of the risk of venture. Risk and reward are two sides of the exact same coin, and you cannot possibly expect to have significant returns without the potential for um, a loss, either a total zero loss or down returns. That's just the space that these folks are playing in. Well, that's okay. Well, are there any particular digital health sectors of healthcare or telemedicine sectors that you're um, interesting that you're interested in now anything catching your eye I'm always on the market like you know, so we I've probably seen almost 2,000 pitch calls with potential companies and we've yeah. worked hundreds and hundreds of telemedicine digital health startups and academic medical centers it's very robust practice you know we have 1100 lawyers and 35 on our telemedicine digital health team. So I'm what I'm looking for is the new weird stuff that'll be like, oh, I never thought of that. What's what's coming down the pipe? I think uh, what you're likely to see is you're going to see more AI use in real meaningful ways with generative AI. I'm waiting for the uh, someone to get approval from FDA to have the front-facing cameras or uh, tools already built into smartphones to be able to read blood pressure and heart rate just through visualization. So the less we need like peripheral devices and the more we can pack it into like a tricorder vibe, Star Trek for your phone, um, 
And we're going to see more of that. That's exciting. So I do think uh, this is going to be a bit more on the software side. At the end of the day, though, these are this is a clinical service that currently is delivered by or oversight by human beings. So to the extent we can make doctors and other clinicians' lives easier and more efficient, those tools are going to have some real um, appetite for adoption. Hey, thank you for it's, it's It's been a pleasure having you on Let's Talk MedTech. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Omar, for having me. It's been a real joy. That's it for this episode of Let's Talk MedTech. Thanks again to our guest, Nathaniel Lackman, a partner with Foley and Lardner LLP. Also, for more great content like the Let's Talk MedTech podcast and all of your MedTech news, check us out at mddionline.com. That's mddionline.com. And please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.